Hello, and welcome to the number three podcast with me, your host, JD, also known as Django, the cunning linguist, and the ranking. We're coming at you today from a cold and rainy Barifornia on the South Wales coast. But that's okay, as we're here to keep you warm and entertained. Let's do this. Episode 3, Game Changers, Part 1, the book that changed my life. I've read about a million books. Um, That may seem hyperbole to you, but it's got to be getting up there now. Start off with uh, being read books. And as someone who's a massive fan of Audible, I've come to, I've kind of regressed to being read stories now. 90% of the books I've read over the last 10 years have got to be Audible books. I sound like an advert for Audible, but really the amount of good stories that you can read while doing other things, while washing the car, while doing the dishes, uh, doing your everyday tasks, even driving or commuting back and forth to work, you can enjoy the stories at the same time. And as someone who doesn't have the time to read books like I used to, um, that's a great way to get my stories in in the day. Today I want to talk to you about one of those um, one of those books that changed uh, my life, and this is uh, part of a series I want to do uh, called Game Changers, where I explain something that happened to me that changed the course of my life. And again, that sounds like hyperbole. It ain't. It's the first concert I ever saw that really got me. The first film I ever watched that really got me. The things that I enjoy in life, I want to do over and over again. So I listen to a million albums. I play a million songs. I go to a million concerts. But every now and then, there's that one moment, that one book, that one song, that one film that you can just sit for days and think about and enjoy in your memory again. But more than that is after that song, book, film, whatever, that changes the course of what you will listen to, watch or experience after that. And it's those moments that I want to discuss. So to give you some context of where I'm going, don't worry if you've never heard of the book. Don't worry if you've never read the book. That's um, that's not a prerequisite to listening to this. And don't worry if you're like my dear cousin Helen, who doesn't like to read books. I'm telling you about my experience of things. But to give you some backgrounds, I was always into horror and the supernatural when it came to books. One of my earliest TV memories is sitting on my nan's lap. I was six 
my granddad goes a long distance lorry driver for Dunlop was away. Um, my ma, who was a nurse, was on the late shift, so it was, it was just me and Nan. And it was dark, the rain was belting down outside, and Nan and I were curled up on her chair, right in front of an open coal fire, which was providing both the light and the heat. And on, on the telly was uh, the TV show Hammer House of Horror. For those of you that don't know, Hammer was a world famous British horror brand that in the 50s, 60s, 70s had brought us films like uh, Dracula and The Mummy, both starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And they branched out into TV with Hammer House of Horror in the early 80s. This episode's The House That Bled to Death. I can't remember much as I was only six. Plus, I was half asleep at the time. But there was this one scene. So, it's contemporary England. Uh, you've got the fresh-faced kids at the birthday party eating sandwiches and cake. Uh, mothers and grandmothers hovering around, wiping noses. And everyone doing the usual party things. Then there's an almighty clan as one of the pipes break away from the other ones and leans out from the wall, creaking as it does so. There's a faint gleam of liquid dripping from the end and all conversation from the parents and the kids have stopped and there's a lovely pause before a huge torrent of blood spurts from the pipe covering the entire party, the kids, the parents, the food, the tablecloth, everything. Everyone is screaming and everyone is drenched. And my nan tries to turn my head away from the telly and into her shoulder, whispering, don't look. The hell with that, I thought, I wanna see. I wasn't scared, I was fascinated. To be fair, the blood looked darker and more treacle-like than anything I'd seen in any other TV show or in real life. And I kind of learned the concept of made up stuff so I could differentiate most of the time anyway at that age not all of one's beliefs and points of views are set in stone that hammer house of horror episode was my first foray into horror and I loved it hammer house of horror became a regular watch once my nan could see I wouldn't be mentally scarred anything with horror in the description even frightening episodes of regular TV shows like Doctor Who or Sapphire and Steel. I, I loved them all. And a year or two later when the Hammer version of Dracula was shown, I just begged and pleaded and to be allowed to watch it. And I loved it when I did. Mm, why not? It was typical good against evil story and the good guys one in the end, just like they did in the Western superhero flicks and most of whatever else I'd seen on telly at the time. Yeah, there was blood, bright red, almost cartoonish blood. That just raised the stakes, excuse the pun. So, fast forwards maybe five years. As a kid, I read everything. I was encouraged by obviously my school and at least my mother and my grandfather didn't really read anything other than the newspaper. Our local library seemed huge to me at the time but was 
uh, looking back, was little more than the glorified porter cabin. And the kids section amounted to little more than a couple of bookcases. And by 10 or 11, I'd read and in some cases re-read all the books there. Uh, luckily enough, I had a quite a friendly relationship with the librarian, who was my nan's friend. By, by then, nan was getting quite infirm. And in the inner page, she'd put like either initials or small symbols or something uh, to know which ones they'd read before. So it was easy for me to pick out her the ones she hadn't read. Anyways, the librarian, uh, Mrs. McGill, uh, saw me one day looking fruitlessly for something new to read in the kids section. And when we realized I'd read them all, she suggested that at 11, I could move on to adult books, but maybe with her guidance. She also saw the books I enjoyed, and it was there that my predilection for horror and the creepy showed as they were all in the supernatural genre. Mrs. McGill then asked if I'd read the classics. I didn't have a clue what she meant, so she said, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, Frankenstein, Dracula. Dracula, I asked. What? They've written a book about the film. Thinking about the Hammer film I'd seen several years earlier with Christopher Lee in it. And to this day, I can still see the look she gave me and knowing why I know now, it still makes me cringe. Fair play though. From other libraries in the borough, Mrs. McGill ordered me in all these classic horror novels, including the infamous Count uh, Old Boltneck, The Man You Couldn't See, and my first intro into the world of Sherlock Holmes in the form of Hound of the Baskervilles. It took me the best part of a year to get through them all, and I almost had to give a report every single time to Mrs. McGill to ensure that I hadn't frightened myself too much. They never did, but I'll be honest, Bram Stoker came close. So one day after returning, I think it was the island of Dr. Moreau, I asked Mrs. McGill, so what's, what's, what's next? Well, she said, you've, you've read all the classics. Yeah, but what's the, what's the modern versions? And for the first time, Mrs. McGill seemed uh, hesitant to answer. She said that modern horror, uh, modern horror books were far more bloody graphic and in her words, a little racy, which at the time I didn't know what, everyone's in cars or I didn't quite get what she meant. So it was the usual response from the kid. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I said, and we can carry on what we're doing. If I, if I find it too bad, too scary or racy, I'll stop and bring it back to you and, and tell you. All right. She said, uh, and she named some horror writers, Dean Kuntz and James Herbert. Now James Herbert's moon novel was on my mother's bookshelf and i i had dipped into it said thanks but no no thanks funnily enough years later james herbert's rats trilogy of books would 
give me nightmares. Uh, Dean Kuntz had an interesting name, but unfortunately, Mrs. McGill said they would have to order that in for me. All right, they said, are there any books like Ashley in the library at the moment that I could try? Eager as ever to get my head stuck in a book again. But once more, she gives me this assessing look as if she's trying to decide whether or not to answer yes. And with great hesitance, she says, there may be one. Okay, brilliant, I said. What is it? And she asks, have you heard of Stephen King? Now, some years earlier, I'd seen a TV advert for a film with some guy bashing his way through the door uh, with an axe, then sticking his head through and shouting something I couldn't quite remember. And then a woman screaming, yes, I said, I said, I heard of him. He made the Shining film, which made her laugh. Again, I was so naive. Not quite, she said, but he did write the book on which the film was based. And he wrote the book that I'm thinking for you to try. I know you're reading above your age group, she said, and I do trust you. But Stephen King is pretty intense. Again, I, I didn't quite know what she meant, but I was going to find out. And she said, I haven't read this particular King novel. That's right, they said. Totally missing the whole point. I'll tell you if it's any good. And that made her laugh again. And I think that did the trick. So she goes to the bookshelf at the back of the library. I later find out this is where the horror section is, i.e. all the good books. And comes back with a big hard book. It's, it's, this thing looks massive in, in my memory's eye. And it's got an illustration of a fog-bound graveyard with the grave markers almost pointing towards and a demonic face silhouetted behind it. And in big, thick, purple letters, it says, Stephen King. And underneath is a scroll that looks like uh, it's been written with a leaky fountain pen. And the book's title is Pet Cemetery. S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y. Being the spelling pedant, I still unashamedly am, I said. They spelled cemetery wrong. And I really just wanted to grab the book, sit on the floor, open up and start reading. If it had been like other libraries, especially later on, there'd have been comfy chairs and I could have just done that. But if that had been the case at, at the library at the time, I don't think I, I would have gone home. Yes, Mrs. McGill agreed. They have spelt it wrong, but there's a reason for it. It's because children use the cemetery and they wrote it, so they, they wrote it incorrectly. And it's a cemetery for their pets. It's the first time I'd ever heard of such a thing, and I was fascinated. As I said, though, the cover was any, unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and it was all I ever wanted. And to this day, is still my favourite cover of any book I've ever read. Now, promise me, if it's too scary, you'll stop. Bring it back and we'll find something more on your level, said the librarian. And I did duly promise, hiding my cross fingers behind my back, because there was no way I was doing anything other than taking the book home, reading the book, and finishing the book. For those of you that don't know the story, it's pretty grisly. Um, it's one that Stephen King himself uh, hid in a drawer for a long time, fearing that his career would be over if he published it, because it's so messed up. There's dead joggers, dead animals, dead children in it. 
but it's only then that the horror really starts. Both the supernatural kind and the story very quickly falling apart and of a father that will do whatever it takes to try and put that family back together. Uh, without giving away any more though, the outcome isn't good. The so-called goodies of the story, if there are any, they don't come out on top. And this is why the book is important to me. Because with the exception of, uh, I think it was Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, and maybe um, Walkabout by Donald G. Payne, both of which I'd read in English lit class. This was the first story where things don't work out and in spectacular fashion like it, it couldn't go more wrong if it tried and i never experienced that before i expected one of the secondary characters to come in at the last moment and save the day offer it to be a dream or something like that and it was so refreshing to have that rug pulled out from underneath me after reading scores and scores of novels that ended in one way or, or another with and they lived happily ever after years later i watch the film seven with morgan freeman and brad pitt in and felt the same reaction when i began to realize what was actually in the box and this is why this book is so important. From then on, any book where I knew that the hero would win, it didn't interest me. And it's not that I wanted uh, sad endings or bad endings or for the heroes to lose. I just wanted to believe in the threat that they could lose. It's one of the reasons I can't get on with romantic uh, films because I know that the principal characters are going to end up together. It's one of the reasons I didn't enjoy the Apollo 13 film is because I knew no matter what difficulties they faced that they would come out on top. Because without the threat of loss, then what's the point in playing? If you know you're always going to win, then the thrill is gone, to quote a famous song. So anyway, three days later, I returned to the library. A changed young man. I had my copy of Pet Cemetery in my hand and I grabbed to the library counter. And Mrs. McGill looks down at me knowingly and says, ah, a bit too much was there? Because she thought I was bringing it back. What? I said, no. I, I finished it. I just I just need more Stephen King. And I've been saying that for 35 years. So that's it. Another episode done. If you've enjoyed listening today, please consider pressing that follow button. Share the link and tell your friends. And if you want to get in touch, I'm on social media and The Locked Room Demon on both Twitter and Instagram. Next week, we may have a special guest joining us. But until then, be cool, be kind, be safe, people. <laughs>